It's time for Inside the Jets, presented by EY, building a better working world. Now, here's Bart Scott and Dan Grossa. And welcome into another edition of Inside the Jets, presented by EY, building a better working world. Dan Grossa sitting alongside my pal, Bart Scott. Bart, they said it couldn't be done, but lo and behold, the Jets are in the win column. They head out to the West Coast for the second straight week and stun the heavily favored Rams 23-20. The goose egg is no more. How are you? I'm feeling good, man. I'm sure they feel good. I'm sure that was a great plane ride home, finally figuring what it feels like or feeling what it feels like to have a victory Monday. Um, all the hard work, all the dedication put in over the weeks finally paid off, and they finally put to- together a complete football game, offense, defense, special teams, even great man getting involved in it with his um, pseudo chop of uh, the, the punt return, saving a touchdown, maybe saving a ball game. You know, you think about – uh, Marcus May making, you know, game-winning plays after giving up a touchdown, coming back, and, you know, they liked that matchup, and, you know, he was the better man. You know, so this is one of those things where it's something that you can build on, you know, and it's important when you're putting in all the hard work to finally, you know, see the results of what all that hard work and dedication and coming to work with a positive attitude has done every day. Yeah, and you heard it from those guys after the game too, right? I mean, the fact that you don't have any fans in the building, you can hear that raw emotion on the field, and you heard how excited those guys were when they knew that they had the game won. You heard them in the postgame. I mean, Mekhi Becton, a rookie, for example, to him, that was almost like the equivalent of winning the Super Bowl. He doesn't know what it feels like to win a game yet in the National Football League. But I think you hit it right on the head, right? All three phases contributed to this victory. It's a cliche, yes, but the offense went out there, put points up on the board against the number one ranked defense in the National Football League. Defense, which was already down Foley, Fadukasi, and Jordan Jenkins, who's on IR. They lose Quinn and Williams in the second half, but other guys stepped up. You know, Nathan Shepard had himself as good a game as you're going to see from him all season. Bryce Hall, the rookie, had his first career interception. And the special teams contributions. You mentioned Braden Mann. How about the block punt with JT Hassel, who's a newly acquired player? Sam Ficken. Back on the field off injured reserve, made all three of his field goals. I don't know if they win this game if each one of those players don't make the plays that we just singled out. They don't because the units by themselves aren't good enough to elevate the other two. So I think they need a complete game and make a mistake-free game. Sam was clean in the pocket. You know, Aaron Donald wasn't disruptive. They didn't really get to Sam overly, you know, with an overabundance. And, you know, the Wally veteran was doing what he needed to do to keep the chains moving and also, you know, being able to pick up, you know, necessary first downs so that they can ice the game. I mean, that was classic Frank Gore, you know, making sure and understand that he may not have time to turn left or turn right, just backing up and just making sure that the first thing that hit him, he's able to continue to try to get to the sticks, and that's what he was able to do. And that's, you know, the situation with football. There's some things that they can learn from. You know, um, going into halftime, giving, you know, the, the Rams an opportunity to, to right. score, not taking time off the clock. You know, but, you know, all in all, it was a solid game plan. They executed it to perfection. And listen, they they were the better team. And um, that's, you don't have to always be the better team. You just have to be the better team that day. And that's what they were. And, you know, they should enjoy themselves. Uh, but understanding that, you know, enjoy the same way when you lose 24-hour rule, when you win 24-hour rule. Because now you're not going to creep up on the Cleveland Browns. Um, They're going to be ready for you because they have a lot to play for. And they're trying to get seed and they're trying to get, you know, to the postseason. And um, you can play the the spoiler. But to do that, you have to put the same effort 
in the same attention to detail that you did the previous week because now we've seen it on film. Now we're going to expect mm-hmm. it. Yeah, and I think that, you know, to a certain extent, and look, you take nothing away from the victory. The Jets took full advantage of it. I think that if you watch that game, certainly in the first two quarters, I think they caught the Rams napping a little bit. Remember, this was a Rams team that hadn't played in 10 days. They played the previous Thursday night when they beat up on the New England Patriots. Maybe they were looking ahead a little bit to next week's game when they have a big showdown against the Seattle Seahawks, which in all probability is for first place there in that NFC West. And you saw guys just very lackadaisical out there dropping easy passes from just a few yards away when nobody was on them. It's almost like their mind wasn't in the game, but the Jets put pedal to the metal. And yeah, the Rams worked their way back into the game in the second half, but it was too little too late. And, you know, you give the team credit for that. Yeah, that's what happens when we call it playing down to the level of your competition. And when you let guys stick around long enough, they start to believe. And when they believe and hope is a powerful thing. And I think the Jets got to the second half and they got to the third quarter and they kind of, those were usually when they would lose it. Um, they were able to weather the storm. And then they was like, hey, we can win this thing. And they started to believe. And when you believe, then everybody else plays a little harder. Everything kind of comes you know, your way. And, and the ball starts bouncing their way. And you know the, the Rams put themselves in a situation where they needed everything to happen perfect around them just to get the victory because they turned it on and had a sense of desperation far too late in the game. Everybody was waiting for, for Aaron Donald to take over, do something special. What happens when that special play doesn't happen, when you don't get that strip fumble, when you don't get that sack, when you, when you don't stop four for one? You know what I mean? And I thought, you know, back then, remember on this show, we talked about this matchup and the fact that he'll be going against Aaron Donald, he'll be going against Brock, he'll be going against Leonard Floyd. And he said he was anticipating and he was looking forward to it, and he didn't disappoint once again, you know, you know, <laughs> Route 77 is always open. US 77 is always open. Whatever you want to call him, he was dominant a- again. And he caught, he kept Sam um, clean. And I thought they had a great game plan getting the ball out of their hands in less than two, sec- two, uh, two um, seconds and was able to get the ball in the hands of your, your playmakers. And I thought they had some, some really good play calls, taking advantage, especially some of the screens behind the line of scrimmage understanding that the Rams were going in, you know, man-to-man coverage and you can confuse them and get, get them caught up in traffic and they took advantage of the plays. You know, so I think kudos at the, uh, and, and uh, congratulations need to be given to Adam Gase for putting together a great offensive game plan, taking advantage of what Sean McVay was going to try and do. And when they realized that their game plan wasn't working, it was too little too late and they couldn't adjust on the fly. I thought the Jets came out and still made the necessary adjustments coming out of halftime, something we weren't accustomed to seeing them do. Absolutely, right? They score again on the opening drive to start the game. Then they score again coming out of the locker room, their first drive in the second half. As you said, those have been few and far between this year. You mentioned the head coach, and look, it's been a tough year. Everybody acknowledges that. But I think you also give a tip of the cap in that direction to the coaching staff for just keeping these guys up. You know, it would have been so easy to wilt after that Raider game a couple of weeks ago and how tough a loss that was. They go out to the West Coast last week in Seattle and they get destroyed. It was not their best outing. So now with just three games left, it's like, shoot, we got to get on a plane, go all the way back out to California again. You know, what do we have to play for? But yet they went out there as if, you know, they were playing for something and they took it to the Rams. So I think that they all should be commended too. And, you know, you saw a lot of new faces in this game. You know, the young guys stepping up, making plays. And that's the thing with, you know, they don't know any better, right? For a lot of these rookies and guys who are just looking for their next opportunity to stick around the NFL, they want an opportunity to showcase their talents. They don't care what records are. They don't care about, you know, where the team is going to be drafting in the offseason. They're going to go out there and try to play their best and help that team win the football game. And you saw those contributions yesterday and it all added up to a nice victory. 
Absolutely. The elephant in the room is, you know, what what the what the narrative is around it, you know, saying, hey, they should be losing the game. They should be trying to get Trevor Lawrence, as we saw him on 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 Saturday. That's not what how players are made. That's not in our DNA to go out there and not give our best effort. When you don't give your best effort, that's when you get hurt. That's when you get injured. And um, the fact that they were able to get a victory, uh, I think they should feel good about it. And they, they don't have to apologize to anybody. And, and, you know, like they always say, it's not the critic that matters. It's the man in the room, right? And you got to be able to look each other straight in the eye after you guys, you know, come out of a game and say, hey, man, I gave you all I had. And you can live with that. You can give somebody giving their all. What you can't live with is get, you know, playing with players that take it for granted because at some point this game ends for all of us. So you don't give anything away. You take everything you can take because this game takes so much from us in return. If you're going to go out there, you might as well win the damn thing. And the film doesn't lie, too. You could spot guys who aren't giving their all. I mean, it's as plain as day. We saw it on the other side with the Rams, as I mentioned, in the first half of that game. Inside the Jets is supported by BetMGM. Place your football parlays, props, and futures bets at BetMGM Sports all season long. You know, real quick on Aaron Donald here, and that was so much of the focus going into the game because you're talking about the best defensive player in football, one of the best players overall in the National Football League. What the Jets did yesterday on offense, they essentially turned him into a bystander. He really had little to no impact on that football game yesterday. There was one play where he shot into the backfield and, you know, disrupted a play. But other than that, his name was few and far between there, Bart. And to me, that was probably the most improbable thing of all yesterday, even more so than the final outcome of the game, just making him so insignificant in the overall outcome of the game. Well, you think about you know them as a whole having over 40 sacks on, on a season. It's not just him that's wrecking. It's been Floyd. It's been Brocker. You know, they have they have a, a, a array of talent on that defensive line, guys who, can get, who has a knack for getting after the passer. Um, and I thought, you know, you can tell that they had given up with him because they moved him over to the right side, tried to isolate him on Andrews. And, you know, he was get, having no success. Uh, I thought, you know, the fact, you know, we look at Makai and think how big he is, but then we look at, in other words, Efron, I always say his name wrong. You know Elfline, I mean? yeah, Pat Elfline. Elfline is maybe smaller, but then sometimes styles make fights. And I thought he was very scrappy, and I thought the way that he was built and the way that his game is played well to try and neutralize a little bit some of the strengths of what Aaron Donald brings to the table. You know, usually he's so much, you know, uh, shorter than other people. He explodes underneath him, gets underneath their pad level, and is able to, 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 to beat him. But also he's still small enough and elusive enough where he can make a miss in a phone booth. And I thought I thought he did a great job in being able to, to kind of scrap and battle with them. And then when they decided to, you know, make sure that they put the tight ends or if it was Wesco or if it was Griffin, you know, being able to put them on the linebackers and allow Makai to kind of block down on him and get two on one. And, you know, understand that Donald, even though he's an explosive, strong guy, he's only 280 pounds. That's undersized mm-hmm. for a defensive lineman. Now let's you talk about Alan Page or maybe John Randall. And, you know, I thought that when Makai had an opportunity, he, he basically manhandled him. He really did. And, you know, you saw that up front. And I think that that's something collectively, you know, the offensive line has been beaten up again this year with injury, right? They've started eight different combinations when you're talking about that starting five. So that's a performance that collectively, you know, they can look at themselves on film when they go back to work here in a couple of days and say, all right, we can take pride in that game, right? We did it against one of the best defenses, if not the best defense in the NFL. Great player in Donald, Brockers, guys like that. We can build off this, even though there's only two games remaining. Let me flip over to the offensive side of the ball because, Sam, uh, another turnover-free football game. Threw the touchdown pass there early on to Ty Johnson. The other thing I liked about him, Bart, he didn't make the unnecessary mistakes. He threw the ball away when he was under duress. He didn't try to force anything in there. 
And he was also efficient in distributing the ball, getting a lot of guys involved. You saw Chris Herndon catch a few passes yesterday, which we haven't seen enough of this year, of course. Spreading the ball to seven different targets, I think overall that did well for the offense. Well, you, you talk about Sam Darnold going with the defense dictates the ball should go and put it in the hands of his playmakers and allowing them to make plays. Um, you saw Herndon with three receptions, I believe, and he put it in tight windows and he gave his guy a chance. And it was good to see in the game plan he wasn't just blocking and they weren't afraid of that uh, defensive line. They were putting him on the route and making him have to try and, and, and guard him. You know, Jalen Ramsey, you know, did what Jalen Ramsey does, but really didn't make any explosive plays. Um, it's cr it's crazy because the quiet, you know, I think Perriman had a quiet day, you know, but that's going to happen when you right. when you go on and you go competing against Jalen Ramsey. But that allowed everybody else to eat. It allowed Crowder to eat. It allowed Ty Johnson to eat. It allowed Gore to eat. You know, one catch for six yards, which was the biggest six yards of the season. That's right. Because it solidified that they got the first down and they can take the victory formation. And I just think, you know, guys coming in and, and competing and guys, you know, rallying around each other and being their own hype man, right? Because when you're on a roll and there's nobody in the stands, you have to be your own, you know, your own source of energy. And I thought they did a great job with that. And, um, you know, that should be commended. But also, like, the game plan. The game plan was flawless, getting the ball out of their hands. And when they could get the one-on-ones, you know, they, they were able to push it down the field. And they didn't get down on themselves when they missed the big plays, the big opportunities. You know, think about Burials wide open down there, hitting them in the hands, not making the big plays. They just kind of say, you know what, we didn't get that one, but let's get the next one. And, you know, even in the first half, too, they had a couple of opportunities to maybe even put the game a little bit more out of reach, right? Because they had the block punt, they had the turnover there, and you would think, okay – put sevens on the board. I mean, that could really change the complexion of the game. They have to settle for a couple of field goals, but in the end, it didn't come back to bite them. And I was surprised, you know, on that final drive for the Rams when we're still talking about it being a three-point game and they had that fourth and four, which ended up being the play that Marcus May uh, deflected and broke up there when they took yeah. the deep shot. I mean, that was only a 55-yard field goal. You know, yeah. conducive conditions. I was shocked that the Rams didn't try to at least tie up the game. I mean, Bart, nowadays in 2020 in the NFL – Field goal kickers are supposed to make 55-yarders. That's almost like routine nowadays with the strong lanes that these guys have. And especially if it's great conditions, not a lot of wind, and you believe that, you know, you can get it done. And, you know, their kicker has a tremendous leg. You know what I mean? He's called Legzilla. You know what I mean? And you think – or Legatron or whatever his name is. You know, he has, he's a Pro Bowl caliber um, kicker. And the fact that he wasn't able you – know, they didn't give him the opportunity to – was a different level of disrespect because I felt like they felt like, ah, we'll just go scoring them. Let's, let's, let's make it, you know, let's not tie the game. Let's go ahead and just win it because this is a where this is an inferior team. And, you know, they didn't – I didn't think they did the, the certain things with a level of disrespect. And I think, that, you know, that's what ultimately cost them the game. And I'm sure it's a lot of plays that McVay would want to have back. You know, I'm sure, I don't know if he'll be calling um, Gates at, at, at 7 o'clock, 4 o'clock Eastern. How about that, right? Time. You know, it's four o'clock Western say, hey, man, you guys are bad. I'm sure he's pissed off because now he's, you know, they're, they're, they're looking up to the Seattle Seahawks in a pivotal must-have game where they have to win. I think what Adam Gay should do is return the favor, call Sean McVay, but this time call him at four o'clock East Coast time, and then it's even earlier out there on the West Coast, maybe as he's just trying to get to sleep, see if he could disrupt him a little yeah. bit there. But yeah, I, yeah, exactly, right? That'll knock you out for sure. But, you know, look, you get the win. 
Now you have two games left. You got a Cleveland Browns team coming into MetLife Stadium, and then you go up to Foxborough to play your rival, the Patriots there. We just saw Cleveland take care of the Giants on Sunday night football. And, you know, you made a good point earlier. That type of performance by the Jets yesterday is one where Cleveland is not just going to overlook them and maybe do the same thing that the Rams did to a certain extent and say, oh, team's got one win. We should be able to walk all over them. No, they're going to take them a heck of a lot more seriously now. Absolutely. They're going to get to Cleveland's best because Cleveland's going to see them as a legitimate threat. And you think Miles Garrett is going to be a tremendous matchup for Makai. You know, the fact that I believe that he's one of the most, if not the most complete edge rusher in the game. And, you know, you see every once in a while Makai struggles a little bit with um, with a little spin moves and things like that. He says the person that gave him the most problems was, uh, was Ingram. You know, he's going to have he's going to have an opportunity, you know, this week to go against one of the best in the game. A guy that would be leading the league in sacks. If he wasn't, you know, if he wasn't, um, you know, missing two games because of COVID, you know, so this is a guy also that may be one of the very few guys that has the power to try and sit down on on Makai. So it's going to be interesting to see how they go. And if Sheldon Richardson is healthy, I know it looked like he had a concussion or a neck injury last week inside because now there goes, you know, good, great outside pass rusher, but a tremendous inside pass rusher. And Olivier Vernon on the other side isn't a, isn't a cakewalk either. So, like, they're going to be tested as far as can they win their one-on-one matchups because, you know, the games can come back in life too because you think about Sheldon and, and, and Garrett right. and playing, you know, games with each other, something that the left side has struggled with at times going back to the um, to the Raiders game. And also, you know, you look at Cleveland's offensive line. They're banged up, you know, at certain positions there. They're way down on the depth chart, so maybe that's an opportunity for that D-line to take advantage again, wreak some havoc. You know, you hope Quinnen is back to normal. He overcomes the concussion protocol stuff. You know, you hope Foley Fadukasi is clear to play. He was on the reserve COVID list. And, you know, Nathan Shepard, grow off of that performance that you gave yesterday. Put two games together back-to-back that are really solid. That could be part of the foundation here, of course, moving forward. We got a lot more to do here on Inside the Jets when we come back. We will talk to a member of the victorious green and white. Stick around. Dan Grasso, Bart Scott with you on Inside the Jets, presented by EY, building a better working world. And welcome back to Inside the Jets, presented by EY, building a better working world. Dan Grasso joined by Bart Scott. And now we are pleased to be joined in our player guest segment, which is presented by EY, building a better working world by Jets corner, Arthur Millett, who's nice enough to give us some time. Arthur, Dan Grasso, and Bart Scott here. Uh, how was your weekend? It was good, man. We went to L.A., got some good weather, got a good dub. Uh, can't complain at all. Makes that plane ride a lot easier Monday. coming back, right? Man, what was it? Got some good rest. Y'all couldn't get victory monies and get kind of stay out there for a Monday and get some more extra vitamin D on the, on the, on the house? Y'all man, had to come I, back? Man, I wish. I wish. But, you know, with the COVID protocol, you might get fine, man. You see, I always got my mask right, right <laughs> with me just in case. <laughs> Now, how, cra- how crazy is that protocol, man, right? Because sometimes you got to f- forget what's going on on the sideline. You're trying to talk to yeah. your teammates, get adjustments, and you like, man, I ain't even got no mask. It's like, right. is it one of those things where it has to become second nature? Um, Honestly, I think our staff do a good job because we got the EQ guys. They always on top of it. Like, we give you a mask, hopefully, you, you know what I'm saying? You wear it like it's your choice, but we're giving it to you. So they do a good job, honestly. How about going into that game yesterday? You know, you're coming off a performance in Seattle where clearly it wasn't your best afternoon. Now you're making a second straight trip out to the West Coast, heavy underdog, going up against a really good Rams team. You know, collectively, did you guys come together and just put that last one out of your memory before you took the field to go take on L.A.? Yeah, honestly, I think that's what we do a great job with, man. We don't, we don't, we don't harp on what, you know, happened in the past. 
we go into the future, we put our hard hats on and we get to work and, and then we go to the next opponent. We don't, you know, we don't we don't think about what happened back in. So we we take it one step at a time and try to get a win. You know, it's crazy. Sometimes you, you wake up and you, you go through a couple of drives and you know it's going to be one of those days where stuff is going your way. Mm-hmm. You just hope that you can capitalize on the momentum. Like, right. at what point did you get out there? It's like, man, this, this ain't as hard as I thought it would be. We kind of got these guys dialed in. Yeah, honestly, man, after that first drive, uh, we kind of had a goal. Um, Nev uh, kind of brought us in a huddle before going into the game and was like, man, look, you know, take this one stop at a time, you know, three and out, three and out. And then once we got those first two, three and outs, man, I just think we was on a roll and I felt like we we could stop them anytime we, we needed to. Yeah, it felt yeah. like, you know, maybe they maybe take took you guys lightly. You know, sometimes you can look at an opponent on film and they don't look as good or they don't look like they playing as hard because you can't really get opportunity to kind of figure out, you know, where, you know, where they're at. You know what I mean? Sometimes, you know, teams can come together and, and the light turns on collectively for an opponent. It looked like maybe they were looking past you guys and really didn't prepare like they needed to for an opponent. Understand that any given Sunday that anybody, you let somebody stay in the game with you, they start believing and belief is a powerful thing. Exactly. You know, that's exactly right. Uh, honestly, um, I don't. I think they kind of took us lightly. Um, and that was one thing that, you know, we had that chip on our shoulder where they, they thought it was going to be a, you know, walk in the park. But, you know, we came in ready to to win a game, honestly. You know, this is the NFL. Anybody can win. So you got to you know, bring that same respect with any given team. And I think we do a good job with that. It's interesting you said that, too, because just from watching it, you know, on television, you could tell that, you know, maybe they were a little lackadaisical in at least the first two quarters. And look, to no fault of your own, you guys took full advantage. And then they made that comeback a little bit in the second half, but it was too little, too late. So many guys, Arthur, talked about the elation and the joy in that locker room after the game. I mean, what was it like to be in a victorious locker room for the first time this year? Man, it was a blessing, honestly, because we work our butts off, man. You know, we had we had. We had a, you know, with this COVID stuff and um, with the type of season and, and the things that we have in our locker room that we don't talk about, the adversity, you know, that comes with it. I just think uh, my hat goes off to all the guys on the team, man, of just, you know, sticking with it, fighting through it, and getting the win, you know what I'm saying, through the tough times that we did have. You know, I, we, you've been in the NFL long enough. You'll have a season like this. It may not be a one-win season, but, you know, what's the difference between four wins and one wins? Right. You're still below 500. You're still going home after the last game. You still understand that there's going to be some changes. But um, the fact that I feel like you guys are really developing the back end of your roster, you're thinking about, you know, getting tremendous depth. Now, we all know next year it's going to be, you know, other players that come. There's going to be competition brought in. But the fact that you guys understand now that guys that may not be a starter next year is a trusted backup. You look at a guy like Hewitt, you know, Longy. Um, you look at all the guys that are starting to get a, ex- experience and playing time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You think about how well you'll be because those guys may not be starters next year. Some of them may be, but they may not be starters next year. But then they'll be able to get developed packages where they can kind of hone themselves in and, and get a get a short yard goal line package. Or, you know, that's what I started on. I started on a short yardage goal line package. You know, Ray got hurt, and then I got my opportunity my first right. year. Right. You, know, so you guys are building the back end of your roster, but you guys are setting the culture, the fact that you guys aren't feeling sorry for yourself. You guys are yet still competing. You know, when I look at the Rams, and I've, I've said this for years, they're a horizontal attacking team. They try exactly. to play with your eyes. They try to grab you with motions and shifts, only to run a traditional, you know, power play or gap scheme play. Oh, and it's all about keeping your eyes, you know, together. 
you know, how dialed in were you guys to what they really were trying to do and, and really looking past all the trickery that they were trying to do to steal your eyes? Honestly, I think we were really dialed in, and that came in with practice during the week. I think the coaches did a good job putting the right scheme together um, to where that we didn't have to worry about all those those crazy fly motions and sweep. We just had to get lined up, get set, and then right. once they break out the huddle, we know where we need to go, and we, you know, we bumping it, and we, you know, we, like I said, we know where to go, and we executing. So I think they did a good job with the scheme. I think we did a good job, you know, planning. You know, I understand that me and you talking, we can talk on that level, but the people that's listening may not know what we're talking about. And basically what, you know, I'm, I'm gathering is you guys had a scheme where change of motion didn't bother you guys. It was more a left and right defense. Uh, so it's like, you know, we used to say when they used to shift the motion, we used to say you so crazy because it doesn't bother us because it doesn't matter. Because on this side is maybe vertical hook. On the other side, maybe vertical hook. So it doesn't matter because both of us can do both techniques no matter where we end up. You know, so I just wanted to make sure that I can explain that to everybody that's watching because they didn't understand what we were talking about. You know, the fact that you guys had a simple game plan that was left and right and allowed you guys to keep your eyes good because when you run it across with motion, you're not nice. paying attention to, to the backfield, exactly. paying attention to the depth of the running back, paying exactly. attention to the split of the receiver and where he ends up. You know, so I thought that was a great scheme. When looking at like a guy like Quentin Williams, who last year you, you heard that he potentially was on the trading block, you know, how did you see him kind of really take that leadership role, especially when, when, um, when some of the veterans were traded away, him he seems like he stepped up and actually became a I mean, better player yeah. without McClendon and other guys. Yeah, honestly, I think he put all the weight on his shoulders. You know what I'm saying? I think it was time for him. He know, you know what I'm saying? We had to lean on him and he had to play well. And I think he took that challenge very successfully. You know what I'm saying? He put us on his back. He, you know, he's in the trenches and he he brings that juice, man. And not not too much with words, but with his play. So I respect him as a man for that. Arthur, hang tight. We're coming right back. We want to have more with you here. Stay around on Inside the Jets, presented by EY, Building a Better Working World. And welcome back into Inside the Jets, presented by EY, Building a Better Working World. Dan Grasso with Bart Scott, and we're talking to Jet Corner Arthur Millett, and our player guest segment is brought to you by EY, Building a Better Working World. Second game with Frank Bush calling the defense, and certainly there was a stark difference from what you guys did last week out into Seattle versus what you did against the Rams on Sunday. Was there anything different in terms of the communication with, you know, Frank calling the game and, you know, in terms of looks and stuff like that? Or was everything as similar to what it was against the Seahawks? I mean, honestly, I think everything was similar. I just think the guys that's on the field are meshing better with each other, honestly, playing with each other, you know, knowing, you know, who we need to help and things like that. Um, it was the same scheme. I think just everybody did their job and did the best to the best ability they could, you know, so – that's really what it was. Frank did a good job putting us in the right place, and we did our jobs to where, you know what I'm saying, they schemed didn't affect us. But you know what's crazy, right? Because I played for, like, you know, when I got in the league, I played for Mike Nolan was the um, coordinator, and then Rex became the defensive coordinator. And, you know, it, the difference is certain people see certain things and see certain strengths in certain people. Right. And I'm sure Frank had a relationship with guys that may not feel like they were getting a fair shake. Right. And when he became the the defensive coordinator, they look at that as like a, loot, a new lease on life and a blank slate, and they have to prove what they can't do to him and not what they can do. So they may get some more opportunities, and he gives guys an elevated role. So are you guys going through that phase now where you're saying, hey, man, well, I may not have got my chance. Mike Nolan couldn't stand me. 
But then, then again, Rex loved me. Right. And at the end, you know, I found my my role in his league to the tune. What did you do? To, what did you do to Mike league. Nolan? Why didn't Mike Nolan like you? He didn't like my personality. Oh. And for for as much for as much as it is, like I got you know, I, I, I'm I'm loquacious, I'm braggadocious. You know, I'm in your face. A lot of people you know don't mean? like that. Yeah. Right, don't like when you're confident yeah. in yourself. You know what yeah, I mean? He, he he didn't like that. He he wanted a different type of player. That's why when I played him in San Francisco, I was lighting Frank Gore ass up to <laughs> let him know to let him know that I that I that I'm that dude. Right. You know what I mean? Right. You know, but, but that's just how it is. And you know, people yeah. always say that, oh, the teacher don't like you. That's listen, we're people at the end of the day, and certain personalities don't match with certain exactly. people. Exactly. Exactly. And maybe with Frank, I feel like maybe guys feel like they get a new lease on life that they don't have that scarlet letter that they only can mm -hmm. do this. They're going to get an opportunity to do it until they prove that they can't. Exactly. So and that's the biggest thing. You you hit it right on the head, man. Um, you know, some guys are getting some burn and, you know, that's one thing we talked about. The opportunity for you is now here. You know what I'm saying? And you're either going to take advantage of it or you're not. And, you know, one thing he said, man, if you do your job, we'll be fine. If not, then, you you know, you got to get off the field because you're hurting the guy in front of you. And he made it simple, man. He made it real simple for us this last week, past week, saying that, you know what I'm saying, by Friday, know what you need to do. If you don't know what you need to do, the guy next to you can't trust you, so you can't be out there. So, you know what I'm saying? When he said that, you know what I'm saying, I think everybody toned in and – and really got the job done, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, what I didn't see is a lot of red two in the field. Yeah. Cover two, because, you know, for, traditionally for us, when I played that, that was a red zone defense because you don't want your middle linebacker it covering to 20 yards speed. down the field. Exactly. Right, 20 exactly. yards down the field, because even exactly. if his back is turned, the, 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 the quarterback's going to throw it's it anyway, you can't see it coming. It's, it's ball of call. You already right. know. You got a middle linebacker out there running with a guy that run a 4 4 4 3 -ish. Right, and and then and then the text message is always sent by Hewitt because he lines up at seven yards, so everybody knows that you're in it. So yeah, then they have the cover two beaters. Yep. So it looked like you guys were playing more discipline and having your eyes set and not really putting a lot of stress on a lot of people right. and putting the hard, the heavy lifting on the corners and not putting it on the linebackers to be in coverage. You know, even you see when when Arthur kind of knew what was coming with the cut split. Mm -hmm. um, and the wheel route, understanding that that was coming based on alignment. That's, that only comes exactly. from field study exactly. and being able to be taught, you know, what they anticipate coming into the game. For sure. You already have a lot of figured out as far as life after football. Really productive yep. with your off-the-field stuff in terms of, you know, business ventures. If I'm not mistaken, I mean, you and I were talking, yeah, I, I think it was last year. What do you, you own a trucking company, right? Yeah, I got a trucking company uh, in Dallas uh, called Millette Trucking, obviously. Um, and I got a mobile detailing business back at home in New Orleans. Uh, and it's going very well, man. Um, honestly, I'm a, I want to be a mass entrepreneur when I get out the league. I want to have my uh, hands into multiple business. And I feel like, you know, mailbox money is the best money now. So why not put my money into something that I can see grow and control? Yeah, so you had to go get that MC number and that DOT number, huh? Yes, sir. <laughs> <laughs> I got an Amazon uh, delivery company, man, so I know all about that. Okay, we might have to talk then after the call. What, 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 you, got... take, what, you, what you taking east and west? You taking produce and chickens out west, and or you or you or you into other stuff? You know, you know, a lot of times it's different. I mean, honestly, I like the produce, but it's it's risky because you know what I'm saying I like dry stuff. I like stuff that you know if the the thing goes bad, it's not too expensive. You know what I'm saying? Right, so, exactly. Yeah. You know, it's your opportunity, bro. See, I, I, I laid that and I threw that alley ooped out there to you. So, because all these people are going to be watching. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, I you can get put it. on. You know what I mean? Yeah, man. I appreciate that. Y'all help a brother out. 
making things happen definitely how about this week with christmas and and the holidays i'm sure you guys are going to be practicing still on thursday and friday but you know even though you're away from home you know your home home what's christmas like being an nfl player how do you make it close to what you're used to you know growing up with being at home with your family honestly um you know you know every team does their secret santa and stuff like that so you know i got a couple rooks i'm gonna get some presents too got a couple teammates i'm gonna get some presents too um you know chill with those guys man and and you know that's my family away from home so you know what i'm saying chill with those guys and just be around them and hey arthur thanks for joining us man as always really appreciate it merry christmas to you and your family and uh good luck the last two weeks of the season finish strong and we appreciate you doing this i appreciate it man thanks for having me right, still you more got. to come on juice and berries you got in your beard like i'm gonna go get some of the juice and berries you got right, <laughs> more to come on inside the jets stick around and welcome back into Inside the Jets, presented by EY, Building a Better Working World. Dan Grasso alongside Bart Scott. And Inside the Jets is supported by Selective Insurance. Be uniquely insured. So a little bit of kind of history in the NFL yesterday, right, Bart? That the New England Patriots, officially, there is no avenue of mathematics which prove it otherwise. The Patriots will not make the playoffs for the first time since back in 2008. Now, it's to be commended. They've been on a hell of a run. We know that. But I don't think there's too many fans, certainly in this neck of the woods, that are going to be shedding too many tears, or for that matter, throughout the National Football League, that the Pats won't be part of January football this year. Well, you, you mean to tell me that Bill can't demand a recount? No, I can't do it. Not no this recount? Year. Not going to work. Okay. Nope. Are you sure? Okay. It's no, mm-hmm. it's no loophole. No, Nothing. No, no, no. They're no, done. Okay, no, they, you know, they had a chance in the offseason. And everybody that was critical of, boy, you know, what kind of moves are they making? Are they really going to be able to win? Does Cam have anything left? And, you know, Brady, yeah. is he going to do better? Or is Belichick going to do better? We got our answer. Well, then they opt out. You know what I mean? You oh, know, yeah. It's crazy. They would hit, you know, with opt outs. You see Stefan Gilmore go down. So they're down one elite corner. They try to trade him as well. Weird. They signed him, gave him more money. They tried to trade him. To somebody else and you know they have to admit that they're in that unfamiliar uncomfortable great organizations are in after they lose a great player after you know after the buffalo bills lost you know after they lost um jim kelly they the whole core yeah i replace him they just feel like they may have replaced him and this kid may be great but he may not be a jim kelly a hall of famer and then we saw down in the same division with the Dolphins having Dan Marino, what a constant he was and, you know, his availability, his durability. I know he had the Achilles injury. And then sometimes you forget, you know, what life was like before them because a lot of the fans now doesn't know what life was before um, Tom Brady got there and was underneath center. And now they're going to get a, a harsh reality um, and see how hard it is to replace uh, a generational talent. And, um, you know, do I think that Bill can turn this thing around, maybe get some good players? Yeah. But do I think that that whole aura of like playing in the garden, like when Larry Bird was there, it's like the garden, the ghost of the the, mm-hmm. Celtics, the leprechauns and all that type of stuff stolen by Bird. You know what I mean? D- Dennis Johnson, all those type of things that just seem to happen and go your way. Well, guess what? Lucky things happen for you when you're great and when you're good, when you have good players that can do great things and, 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 and perform in pressure cookers. So, I mean, I think it's one of those days where we'll remember that this was the day when it, where it stopped. And all the fans, and what I love, all the fans, you know, that were fans before, now they're going to see what it feels like and how difficult it is. Oh, yeah. For all the other, all the other organizations were trying to do, beat a great quarterback without a great quarterback. 
you know, for all what they're saying, Jared Stidham, they can go out and get Matthew Stafford. They can go get whoever they want. It's not Tom Brady. I think sometimes we undervalue what it's like to have a great player. I mean, when you look at Phil Jackson, like, yeah, I can coach a triangle. I can call, I can, I can coach a Sosalese angle and have Jordan, Kobe, Shaq, Scottie Pippen, Kukos have great players in, it and it's gonna work. You know what I'm saying? And sometimes I think sometimes we, we we give too much credit to systems and not the players that's running and perfecting those systems. And I think Bill's gonna have to learn that. And I don't know if this is the beginning of the end for Bill. I'm sure he doesn't want to leave with everybody believing that it was more about Brady. But at what point do you hand the car over to Josh McDaniels? Well, I mean, he's closer to the end than to the beginning. Let's be real. I mean, he's been doing this a long time. That's and, and it's a valid point. But will he, really will, will he hang on too long like Shula? Will he hang on too long like Landry and have to get fired? Or will he bow out gracefully? Because the Patriots have always been an organization that let people go a year too early, not a year too late. Are we a year too early for Bill Belichick? And, you know, do you risk maybe losing a guy like Josh McDaniels? I mean, if you think that Raheem Morris doesn't get the Atlanta Falcons job, you don't think that Josh McDaniels could find a job like that working for an owner like Arthur Blank appealing? You don't think, you know, him potentially going and working down and, you know, with Deshaun Watson is appealing? You don't think him going and maybe potentially coaching Justin Herbert is appealing. Well, the thing with Josh McDaniels is not for nothing. I mean, let's be real. He kind of crashed and burned in his first try as a head coach in Denver. He was young. He was young. He was, he was young. Great. What was that, seven, eight years ago? I agree. I give you that. Yeah, 2009, he got the job. They got off to that great start, and then they kind of flamed out after that. You know, him and Brandon Marshall hugging at the podium and all that stuff. But you also have to think, okay, well, the so-called genius of it, Brady leaves, and that offense wasn't scaring anybody this year. And yeah, you're right. He has stuck around. He has been a loyal assistant. Maybe he is the next man up there in New England. But then you have the whole Indianapolis thing where he took yeah, he the job, the job. then right. he backed out of the job. You wonder if that rubs some people the wrong way around the National Football League. Like, you know what? I got to think twice about maybe bringing this guy in because he already backed out on the job. I don't want that to happen to me. Yeah, well, that's because Bill said what? I'll give you my world. Like, I have no idea what the hell that means, but Bill right. said he's going to give him his world. And if I was Josh McDaniels, I would have said, well, what the hell were you giving me before when I was there? Your time? Yeah. You didn't give me your world. And, you know, at this point, that was 11 years ago, and he's back, and he has to understand that opportunities – you you get two opportunities to, to really crash and burn in this league. And at some point – you got to win one, right? How many guys have won three games? I mean, three three different coaching spots, right? It doesn't usually work that way. Usually you get two. Think about Hearn. Hearn was in, in, in here with us. Then he went to Kansas City. Think about Rex here and there with Kansas City. You think about Brian Billick. He got one bite at the apple. He had the Ravens, and that was it. You think about Todd Bowles. He's a guy that could get another bite at the sure. apple. Um, so, like, you have to get it while the getting is good because – not only does he have opportunity to get a great job, he get an opportunity to get a great young quarterback, whether that's, you know, whether that's Deshaun Watson, whether that's Justin Herbert. I mean, I know Matty Ice is a little older. You know, Matthew Stafford, you know what I mean? Do they go that route again? Now they got Chris Spielman, you know, being a consultant. Barry Sanders sure. being a consultant. Let's see where they go. You know, so this could be an opportunity for, for Josh McDaniels to get back in. You know, you mentioned Deshaun Watson real quick. You know, again, another heartbreaker yesterday for the Texans. And think about it. That's the second time in, what, the last three, four weeks that they've yeah. played the Colts and they've been Lost right the down there at the goal line about to go in for the winning score, and both times they fumble. It was Watson who couldn't get the handle the last time. Yesterday it was Kiki Kute as he's going into the end zone. I mean, you talk about two crushers against division foes like that. That is tough to take, man. 
But I tell you what, he said he was tired of losing. And listen, secretly he's having one of the best seasons in he all is. football. You think he's well over thirty seven hundred yards passing? He's only had like six turnovers. Now he's having a great season. The problem is they don't have a full team. And you know, you think about it going forward, they don't have a first round draft pick next year. Um, I think the only way they can try and attract some people there, they you know, they got the Brandon Cooks deal. Um, they signed um, Johnson. You know, so David Johnson, so like they're stuck with some bad contracts. They really don't have a lot of flexibility. That's why I would say is this the last that we've seen potentially of JJ Watt? Is this the time at 31? I think you're gonna get a change of scenery. Yeah, with 31 years old, you know, and and he has one year left on his deal. Do they move from JJ Watt? And then you know, it's uncomfortable to move from a guy that's been the face of your franchise. But I think sometimes you have to move a guy that's the face of your franchise so that you can have a new face of the franchise, which it should be Deshaun Watson. Um, you have a lot of work to do, and, and if you get um, if you get Watts money off the books, that gives you flexibility to go out and be able to really address a lot of different needs and different issues. And yesterday was an interesting day around the league because we saw, you know, the the, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers get off the mat. Right? Oh, they were mad. I mean, I, it, once again, I mean, you talk about a team that has come close but no cigar. You know, if this was horseshoes, the best team in the NFL would be the Atlanta Falcons. You think about how many close games they've lost. And being able to be up that big and not being able to learn how to that finish, yeah. disappointing. You know what I mean? Because they get right there, but they just can't find a way to finish. And, you know, that's disappointing because this team can score with anybody. And, and then um, you have a division like the NFC East where it just seems like nobody wants to win it, right? Philadelphia loses in Arizona. Dallas gets a win yesterday. Okay, that's great. Everything stays the same. It's funny, Dallas and that – you know, it's weird because you know, if, if Philly would have won, that half a win could have been a difference. But, mm-hmm. you know, Jalen – you know um, – Jalen Hurst, you know, come up just slightly short against. Uh, he's playing well, though, is he not? He's given them a boost. He's given yeah, them course. a lift, and you have to ride him with him the last two weeks of the season and see what more he can do for you. But, but, but then you see what happens is now, now you know Carson Wentz is saying hey. if he's going to be the starter. You know, go ahead and trade me. So now it's getting exciting because it's potential. You know what I mean? Is it's going to be some potential out there? You think about okay, Jameis Winston's out there, Cam Newton's out there, Carson Wentz out there. Who do you take? You know, if you're Chicago, if you're Indianapolis, if you're if you're New Orleans. And even a guy like take another guy like Marcus Mariota, what he showed you on Thursday night. Let's not forget this guy was a number two overall pick in the draft. He won a playoff game before. I mean, y- you look at some of the teams around the league. Mariota's guy was good enough to start for at least a couple of them based on some of the other quarterback situations. I think if you bring Mariota in, you're basically bringing in Mr. Trubisky. If you're taking him back to Chicago, limits your offense the same way. But if you're somewhere else, I mean, we're looking at Jacksonville. Jacksonville may just go Trevor Lawrence. So you're going to have some guys that's going to that's going to address their quarterback position by the draft. But then if you if you feel like you're close, and you don't want to start from from the bottom. You take one of these retreads. And out of all of them, I think that Carson Wentz has a, the most upside because he's the youngest. And, uh, you know, he's a guy that can really make some money for itself. You know, you think about is Washington going to be open when Alex Smith's going to be there? So it's right. all good. Remember, Jets fans, you can watch Inside the Jets through the Jets app presented by BetMGM. Go to the App Store or Google Play right now and search official New York Jets. So it's Christmas week. Christmas in a couple of days. Do you have any traditions? What do you What do you guys do as a family on uh, on Christmas? We you know, put the corny pajamas on the night before. You do the pajamas. Yeah, the kind of like the little pajamas, the onesies, all that stuff. Uh, the uh, cookie monster. I got like the old blue cookie monster type ones. Oh, hot as hell. we got to see the. You got to send a picture of that. That's some good stuff. You know, it's, it's hot as hell, but you know, you just have some fun, man. Hang out. You know, the kids. You know, similar to bed. 
early and then you got to run around and figure out how you're going to sneak the toys in. And then you always got the daughter that wakes up at four o'clock. Mm. So I open the present like, listen, it's four o'clock. Wait yeah. till seven o'clock. Don't, don't come in here. Don't call me because guess what? It's four o'clock and you went to sleep at, at 10 o'clock or nine o'clock. I've been up. I just went to sleep at, at four o'clock, putting all your stuff together and, and putting it in a tree and finishing up the final wraps. Don't come in here because I'm not going to do that. No, you can't do that. I mean, that's part of, you know, that's that's part of what Christmas is, though. But the kids get into it, though. So, yeah, so you'll be in the onesie. You're going to do all that stuff. And what what is it? Just We got a football game on Christmas Day this year, right? You got Saints-Vikings. That'll at least keep us entertained. And plus the 15 NBA games that we have yeah. all throughout the day. Well, what say you? What, what What's your issue? What do you like to do on, 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 on Christmas? What's your sleep, tradition? Sleep in, wake up. We have a nice little breakfast. You know, we do the presents, just my wife and I. <laughs> and then, then we take it slow and then go, you know, to whatever family we're, we're going off to that day. But we like to just keep it kind of low maintenance. You know what I mean? It's supposed yeah. to be a relaxing day. Yeah, okay. You know, you got kids. You don't you know get that. that. You wake up, with a, wake up with a Lego up your nose. <laughs> Nothing like a Lego in Christmas, right? Well, you and the Scott clan, I want you to have a very Merry Christmas and uh, enjoy it. Get some uh, some rest, and we'll do it again next week, my friend, all right? Well, well, you know, like a typical me and you, I'll be working on Christmas, so it's all good. Oh, that's right. You're, you're a busy guy. You're busy. I actually get Christmas off this year, which is nice. Nice for a change. But enjoy it nonetheless, and we'll do it next week, buddy, all right? And for everybody else out there, have a very Merry Christmas and a Happy Holidays. For Bart Scott, I'm Dan Grassa. This is Inside the Jets, presented by EY, building a better working world. So long, everybody.